Hello and welcome to Four Color Nerds Comic Book Reviews. This is episode 101. I'm Ryan. Wait. No, I'm not. I'm Matt. I'm joined by Carissa. Christina is hanging with her evil scientist grandmother, and Ryan has been depowered by gold kryptonite. Hello, Carissa. Oh no! Hello! The weekly barrage of comics and comic-related news can be scary, so we're here to let you know what to check out and what to avoid. We read a variety of comics and gather here to discuss them, as well as anything else that's popped up in the world of comics. There is a chance of spoilers. I'm pretty sure you're going to hear spoilers. So, if you're worried about them, take a break now, go read the pull list, and then come on back. This week, we will be reviewing Rat Queens number 7. Rogue and Gambit, number one. Batman, number 38. Guardians of the Galaxy, number 150. Phoenix Resurrection, number two. Hawkeye, number 14. And Pullpaster complained about it on the internet. We have Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles, number one. Batman White Knight, number four. Star Wars, number 41. Batman The Signal, number one. Spider-Man, number 236. And Rise of the Black Panther, number one. Stop the presses. This just in. News from the bullpen. News this week. I am announcing that Gail Simone has recently just said that she will be writing for Domino for Marvel Comics. She has a long history of writing really strong female characters and having really compelling stories that deal with issues that could benefit from a strong female character. So I am personally very excited to hear this. What do you think? I think it's pretty neat. I, I I gotta wonder if that's why she kept asking, if I could write anything, what would you guys think? Because she kept bringing that up, like, over the past week or two. She asked, like, if I could write any Marvel character, who would it be? If I could write any DC character, who would it be? And I'm like, uh... Okay, this one? And I'm like, what's she getting to? And Domino is not who I would suspect. <laughs> it seems like it is a push for the new movie, I'm pretty sure, but... Oh, I'm certain it is. It's just, Domino getting her own book is a little weird. <laughs> She's a good character. It's just that's not who you think of when you think of, oh, hey, let's give them a, their own book. Domino's always been this like side character. So, well, they give like really strong writers these random characters to write one their own books for. And I think in the hopes that a strong writer will make it into something more than just the sidekick side piece. Yeah, she's, you know? she's one of the people who made Deadpool like the modern Deadpool. So I think they're hoping that she can do basically that same magic with another uh, cable side character. Yeah. Because back in the day, Deadpool was just this weird X-Force villain. And then a couple of people got a hold of him. She's one of them and made him into like a, a guy who you can make movies about. An enjoyable hilarity. But yes, we, we are fans of Gail Simone here. At least I believe all of us are. So it was, it's always good to hear new news coming out from her. Though I would like to see her, you know, write for, I said, I think I answered her, her post one of those ones that you mentioned. I think I said Spider Woman. I'd like to see her write for Runaways. I can't remember what I said. I did, and I did when she asked, uh, like, it was Image. I think I said that she should do a guest spot on Rat Queens. Ooh, that'd be cool. I could see that. Or, you know, just give us more clean room. Yeah, more clean room. I can't I can't remember who I said. I I, mean, I would like to see her do another Vertigo series. Yeah. Or, or maybe, like, have her take over one of the, the, the Justice League Darks things. Mm. Or maybe Justice League Dark. Because she writes creepy, crazy shit really well. Yeah. And I'd like to see what... Like, take the clean room way of writing and then apply it to, like, some mainstream occult characters in the DC universe and just let her go wild. Like her on, on Hellblazer. Oh, yeah, I can see that. Cool. So, yes, that is my news. That's excellent news. Every episode, one of us picks their favorite book, and that's our pick of the week. This week, I am that nerd. My pick of the week goes to Rat Queens number seven, and our companion song is Pompeii by Bastille, because I fucking love that song. <laughs> it's kind of... It gets used a lot in, uh, not to be negative or, or sound like a mean asshole or anything, and crotchety old 40-year-old uh, hipster music. And in Rat Queens, there's this like scene where they show up at a new bar because the dive bar that they had been at, the dude is like really fucking belligerent. He's like, I was a, a big bard and this is what I'm going to do dying and and so they they move over to this other place but it is totally run by hipsters like a gay couple that turns into weird monster hipsters so <laughs> it is weird i picture the song playing in the background at that bar so uh, what do you think of the song yes oh no i totally fit because they are totally weird monster aspiring chef hipsters <laughs> it's the song is about it's got some stuff about like uh, darkness descending and shit and this issue kind of really calls back to when basically Cthulhu was trying to take over the town. So uh, it also kind of calls to that kind of little bits to me as well. So let, let's just go ahead and take a listen. You people can decide for yourselves. Fuck off. I was left in my own diva. Tumbling down in the city that we love 
the fuck off was because Christina's is not here and somebody has to curse at people. Uh, Rat Queen's number seven, Image Comics, written by Curtis J. Weeb and art by Owen Jenny. Fucking names. <laughs> I know, I was like, oh, I don't know what that is, that's like, all. I don't know how to say that. All right, so this week on Rat Queens, we're kind of continuing the, the series, the, the new series has been kind of a little all over the place for me, which is Rat Queens. They've, they're never like a long, long, long arc. They're always like really quick arcs and kind of jumping around in different stories, and I kind of like that about them. They've been starting to have this whole weird, strange, bad guy in the background kind of thing while other stuff is happening, a story that's been going on, kind of a monster of the week, but the kind of X-Files, like how they always had like the the conspiracy thing going on in the background, but then, oh, hey, here's face sucker guy, or here's, like, look at these weird people. Oh, by the way, that dude over there is smoking, but they, they've kind of been doing that where they've got like, strange disappearances happening in town, and then people just like, hey, who's that? Like, the, you know, that person's, like, fucking parent doesn't remember them, and they're literally blinked out of existence. But then you'll have some other stuff going on. So we've got a story here in the beginning about Orc Dave that will make all but the most fucked up people, like myself, cry, because fucking Orc Dave. Like, seriously, they're bringing him back, but he was in, like, a really fucking dark place. But he was in that really nice kind of glen that he we saw in the Orc Dave special. So he's kind of, you know, getting pulled back into the fold. Because Violet won't give up on him. Because Violet's a true, true hero. She won't give up on Orc Dave, and, and none of us should give up on Orc Dave, because Orc Dave is awesome. And But then we've also got uh, the queens getting fed up with their, their bar, so they jump over to another bar. Then we've got Neil, who's got mushrooms growing all over him. Oh, Neil, <laughs> yuck. Neil's so fucking disgusting. <laughs> Who is Neil supposed to be the, like, analog of? All the people in that group are analogs of other people. Oh, who, Braga? Is he... he? Well, Braga didn't have an analog. Hmm. Because, yeah, because Violet's her brother. Right. The creepy old wizard dude is Hannah. Right. The mushroom min- is the midge, oh, right? yeah, is he... Maybe they're like a twofer. The weird fungus in that, in Neil. Yeah, maybe they are. Because there's a... Oh, is he? Like, they're Betty. What's her name? No, not Betty. What's her name? The shaman. D? Who's turning into a ranger. D. D. Maybe he's D, because he wears a purple outfit. Oh, right, yeah. So then he's probably D. I just got confused because D's ex-husband, who's basically the male version of her, showed up in this issue. Right. So anyways, I, th- I thought it was pretty good. Um, it's Rat Queen, so it's always going to be a solid for me until, you know, they get too far along and they fuck it up and then it goes sour and south. Hopefully that will never happen. I f- Why do you feel like they're trying to explain that weird sh- dramatic shift in story? Because they're pulling the things that happen far away. And so I feel like we're trying to build back up to explaining what happened. Yeah, because the Queens, the last series kind of got canceled. And then uh, we, we were all sad because we thought that was the end of the Rat Queens. And then they're like, oh, hey, we're getting a new series. Um, so and then they showed up at it. It was literally the the end of the last series had some seriously fucking ending shit like they were splitting up. And then they're just all back together again, and we're like, wait, what, what the fuck? <laughs> but I'm happy that, that they all got back together again, but now they're kind of bringing some stuff from back then. Like when the town got attacked by D's Cthulhu buddy. So they're kind of bringing it back around, so maybe everything will kind of be explained. Maybe there's some lost time. I, I don't know. I recently got someone hooked on this who's not a huge comic book fan, and they love it because they love D&D. But even then, they got to the point where the shift happened, and they're like, what happened? I love these characters, so I'm going to keep reading. But yeah, like, it is such, it's very unsettling because you're just like, they were fighting an ice dragon and now they're back at Palisades? What's going on? Yeah, like, wait, what? Huh? Who? What? Yeah, it, it, it got really fucking confusing, but I'm just like, okay, I don't care. I'm, I got the Rat Queens back. Let's go. It's just kind of how I, I, I took off after that. So, all right. Uh, you ready to rate it? I am. All righty. One sec. I'm going to give it four. I want a hot, juicy tuber in my mouth right now. <laughs> I'm gonna give it four. What's in the box? <laughs> Poor Orc Dave. What's in the box? Alrighty. Because, oh, Neil and those mushrooms, oh, I, I, I gag. So like, when they're harvesting them, that, like, near the end, oh, it's so bad, so bad. His armpits, oh. But they came to, like, a good resolution to this thing, which is, like, uh, D&D battles always are just like, oh, look, there's a monster, let's fight it. But, like, some DMs are like, you know, there was a way to do this without killing everybody. Yeah, but it's so gross. Really well drawn in that way that makes it that gross. So gross. <laughs> I- like, now, Steady, only an inch of stalker could infect the subdermal. Like, he's got this down to a science. 
Yeah. Oh, so. And then, fuck, ew. <laughs> People are eating it. Neil is gross. Uh, <laughs> next thing you know, we'll be adults. Yeah. Alrighty. Moving on for some, something that's been a long time coming. It's Rogue and Gambit, number one. Marvel Comics, Ring of Fire, part one. That's an excellent subtitle. Sorry. If this, if it was my pick of the week, it would have been that. And you know, there'd be some Johnny Cash going on. Uh, written by Kelly Thompson, pencils and inks by Perret. Pierre Perez, is that right? Mm, sorry. Colors by Frank Tiamarta. This has some lovely 90s Marvel a- mutant action going on. It's like you're watching the cartoon. It's pretty great. Um, it starts with them like in the danger room or Gambit walking into the control room where um, Storm is. And he's like, are those old school Sentinels? And she's like, that's what they asked for. And it's in there and Rogue's in there with like Pixie and who else was it? It was... um. Some other people, but they're fighting and they're Some doing a stimulation. <laughs> Some other people, other mutants. X-Men. X-Men. Um, and they're, you know, battling and Gambit wants to get in there and he's flirting. Rogue's not having it. She's like, I can't control my powers. And it's like, it's back to that old school reason. Like, no, I'll hurt you with my powers. Well, she acts like she's not interested, but then she goes and says something. Then she gives an excuse like that. It's like, those two don't make sense because if you just weren't interested, you'd leave it at that. You don't have to explain how. Your powers will suck his life force, you know, because you have no control. So it's back to their dynamic, basically. And, you know, he clearly cares. He wants her and all that kind of stuff. Then they have to go on a mission. They get sent to an island. The island is evil because there is a little preview where you show, like, some mutants trying to escape and then they get blinked out of existence. And they go there and it's like this perfect paradise. And there's these other mutants like, we've been here for five days. It's great. Have fun going to your first session. And they're like, oh, what's the harm in it? We're going to pretend to be a couple. That's not so hard. That has issues. Because that's what it is. And, you know, Rogue's like, why? We're not a couple anymore. She's like, yeah, that's what makes it more realistic that you guys have things to work on. And Gambit's like, oh, this might help us. I'm down. And then they go, then they start walking to their first session and it shows them strapped to a table and like, this ain't good. There, that part's right. And so I love Rogue and Gambit. So it's always going to have points. I also like the Phoenix one, so that one was good too. I focus more on like their romance and their banter and their back and forth. That's what I live for when it comes to Rogan Gambit. And that's definitely in here. And it's definitely hitting my nostalgic buttons because it's the same old argument and dynamic back from the nineties. And you know, so for me it those those are good when applied to me. It might not be for everyone, but if you do dig that vibe of Rogue and Gambit from back then, this is definitely a comic book that you might enjoy. Um, what'd you think? Because I know you're not a big 90s X-Men fan. Um, yeah, then the 90s is kind of where I stopped reading X-Men. One, I'm not a huge fan of Jim Lee, and two, that's about where Claremont stopped writing. So they just kind of got really flashy and a lot of shoulder pads and shit and pockets fucking uh, everywhere. All the pocket bandolier pocket belts. Seriously. Pockets on their shoulder pads. They gotta carry lots of stuff. I guess. But also, like, Onslaught hit, and I was just like, fuck, I'm out. So I don't remember if comics had this banter, or it was just the cartoon. I literally started hearing the theme song for the fucking cartoon while I was reading this book. Yes! Literally, this feels like you're watching the 90s uh, Saturday morning X-Men cartoon. It's insane. It literally, the, it's like they went and got the writer for the people who wrote the banter between Gambit and Rogue from that to write this. And no, they didn't. No complaints from me. That is thumbs up. <laughs> so did they, did they talk like that in the comics back then or? I was a little bit. I mean, this is definitely has more of that cartoon vibe, but like that classic cover of them kissing and stuff like that. It has, you know, it was very reminiscent of around that time period. Yeah. So, so one of the things I'm hoping this with with the whole acquisition of oh wow that happened while we were out the whole acquisition of Fox by Disney is obviously going to bring the X Men back in. I'm hoping that the stuff we see in the comics in the next couple years is indicative of what they're going to be doing with stuff. And maybe when they make like the Gambit movie because that's been like in production or pre production for like six fucking years. That maybe they'll make a Rogue and Gambit movie. Yes, maybe that's what they're doing here because then they won't have like underage rogue <laughs> yeah they can recast her well she's definitely not underage anymore no i do like though that her costume of recent has been her classic like original costume me too that she had when she first showed up i really like that green costume it looks good on her everybody loves the yellow with the jacket and i'm just like eh. the yellow with, with, the, with the jacket is classic i love it but like i've been working on cosplay ideas and i've always wanted to do a rogue and the, this green one is the one that i always 
gravitated towards. So I, I really liked the book. I thought the art was pretty good. There were some funny moments, quite a bit of funny moments. There's the banter that I absolutely expect, uh, you know, mostly from the cartoon, but I still expect it when you're reading Rogue and Gambit. I mean, that's like the main reason to read Rogan Gambit is to, it's a, basically they're a rom-com, right? The, like a, yeah, I guess, yeah. Kind of a criminal romp rom-com. Um, they're kind of like a cross between a rom-com and a buddy road movie. It's very Han and Leia, early Han and Leia yes, too. Yes, yes. But I mean, it's that, that ha- maybe rom-com is not the right term, but just like relationship tension kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Mulder and Scully, but it might actually go somewhere and not screw things up. But it's just, it's that kind of thing. And it's like, he wants her and she wants him, but she can't because she'll kill him. You know, that sort of thing. Oh, be still my heart. Oh, I love it so much. It was pretty fun. Yeah, except for Kitty being the bitchy kitty that I don't really like. Kitty in Guardians recent run was pretty good. Like, I have never been a huge Kitty Pride fighting, though I know lots of people I know are. Mm-hmm. And this is more reminds me of why I don't like her. I'm like, yeah, her little like, can I speak to the manager haircut and just can I speak to the manager? <laughs> so basically, she looks like Sue Sylvester with her haircut, mm. and she's always wearing that suit, so it's kind of like a tracksuit. Yeah, it's just like, uh, I just, yeah, I'm just not a fan of, the, of that particular incarnation of Kitty. It's just, it's weird, especially since Chuck is kind of sort of back. Hopefully, she'll step down and become Kitty again. But yeah. she got like real. Like, like it was weird to have her put in the position of power. I mean, nobody else was left. Yeah. So it made sense, but it's just kind of weird. Yeah. So I, I agree with you there. There's just, there's a couple of funny moments that I felt with her being in charge. Like, like the whole, why don't you and Colossus? Colossus. Go? I thought that's what I was just about to cut you off and say. I was like, the part of the, the, the dig about her and Colossus, I thought was really oh. fitting. <laughs> yeah. No freaking way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but it's okay for me and Remy. Uh, yeah. That's just one of the perks of, of leadership come in. I get to not assign myself this mission. I had yeah. to laugh my ass off there. Definitely. That was probably one of my favorite parts of the book. All right. I guess we're going to rate this up. Like I said, it hit all my buttons, so it's going to get a high rating from me. I'm going to give it four. When's that nickname going to die? <laughs> I'm going to give it four. You're focused on the wrong thing. These mutants need your help, Rogue. And also Ring of Fire. Yes, because that song is so fitting for them. Yes, but I, like. I know that it's a Johnny Cash song, but I always go to, what is it, Social Distortion? Yes. There you did it. I always go to that version because that's the one I heard first. Oh, really? And then I heard the Johnny Cash version. They're very similar. Like, the Social Distortion, it's like, it's a little bit harder, like, like, punk chords to it, but it didn't really change it that much, I don't think. Well, see, the thing that everybody's like, oh, Johnny Cash is a country star, and I'm like, no, he's kind of punk, but in country. Yeah. He has that, like, whole, I don't want to say punk aesthetic, but... If you take Ruby Soho by Rancid, it flows into Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire, like, almost seamlessly, like, the tempo. It's really neat. I, I used to have a mixtape where I didn't know it did that, but they were back-to-back. I was like, oh, hmm, random song facts. <laughs> Seriously. All right, so I guess we're taking us into DC. Yeah, let's go over to DC with Batman number 38, DC Comics, The Origin of Bruce Wayne. Written by Tom King, pencils and inks by Travis Moore, colors by Gila Brusco. This is a little bit of a side story, it felt like, to me. We basically have Bruce acting as he does for... Basically, this kid finds his parents massacred in their home, and Bruce does this whole kind of thing for, you know, orphaned boys, and apparently especially rich orphaned boys, where he kind of goes in and does a little bit of counseling, Except he's always standing, which I thought was weird. So we go through the mystery, and this is a one-off book, right? We've been having these long story arcs with the, with the the wedding, or not the wedding yet, but the engagement, the engagement, and then getting date permission, night. date night, that sort of stuff. Even date night was kind of like a it's a two-off book, the Super Friends, but this is literally just a contained story, and we've got basically Bruce trying to figure out Batman, I guess trying to figure out what's going on with all these murders, because it seems very much like Zaz, and Zaz even cuts himself. And Zaz has got this really fucked up, gnarly skin, because every time he commits a murder, of which he's done a lot of, he cuts himself, so he's got all these, like, jagged bits, and his skin, like, grows back in these, like, weird bands that almost makes it look like he's a mummy. 
It's like, it's scar tissue, right? It's Yeah, it's scar tissue, but it's like his skin is uneven now. And Zaz in the comics is not Zaz like in Gotham, which is sad because I like Zaz in Gotham a lot more than Zaz in the comics. They're both fucking creepy as hell, but the Zaz on the show is just really, really good. But Batman's basically trying to figure out, you know, who committed these murders, what the fuck is going on, and then more murders happen, and he's like, wait, what? And they make a couple of really great references in here, like Denny O'Neill, who's classic Batman writer. There's a Denny O'Neill street in Gotham, and that becomes, uh, I'm sorry, Avenue. And that becomes a clue for the whole murder, because you've, like, flipped the name around. It, it's just, it's a good, solid Batman story. And then it, it has a fucked up ending, like Batman stories kind of should. For me, it was a little less than what we've been having, probably because it's a short, enclosed story. I've been used to these really long sweeping stories that Tom King does really well. This was still written well. It was a good mystery, but it was just a like a one-off book. I mean, I I, I don't know. What did you think? I, it kind of reminded me of like, in a weird way, like scary stories to tell in the dark. Those books you read as like a kid where it was like, but in the Batman universe, like, I don't know. I thought it was a, a sweet, condensed little mystery. Like, you know, what's going on? Cause you know, you do get misdirection with what other villain it could be and stuff like that. And then you start to have like a suspicion of what you think it is. And then actually that suspicion ends up being true. And it's just kind of like, it's sad and it's just like, like horrifying. Like it's, it's really kind of twisted and. But it all, I feel bad for Bruce because he sees that happening and, you know, but as he sees it both as the bat and as Bruce. And it's, I think it's, he sees like what could have been or where it was and like how even the public kind of really doesn't understand him in a way. Yeah. And so I don't know. I liked it as a one-off. I mean, it is definitely not that this huge epic that we've been getting from Tom King, but I think it goes, it does have a niche and fits into Bruce's like that kind of narrative where he's explaining who he is and where he came from to Selena. And so I think this story does fit in, in that aspect, you know, like this could have been me. I look what this child, you know, has done kind of thing. And so, I mean, I liked it. It wasn't as great as impressive, I guess, as the last couple ones have been, but it still has its place, I think. I didn't dislike it. It's just, I, I want more sweeping stuff. I like the big broad stories. I mean, obviously, I'd want more of the romance in the that we've been getting and some of the, like, the Ballad of Kite Man stuff. Like I said, it's, but it's really hard to compete with those. I mean, those were, like, masterpieces, you know, he's not going to have that. I mean, he pretty much does have that most every time. Yeah. But with a one-off, it's really hard. A, a little one like this, it's hard to compete with that, I think. It's a good single story. It's a really good single story. It's just not what I wanted. It's, it's like, and, and I don't know, you might disagree with me here. It's like kind of like how people feel about uh, The Last Jedi. I personally think it's a good story, but it's not what everybody was anticipating it to be, so they hate it. Oh, I don't hate it. I don't hate this one, but it's not what I kind of been used to and wanting in uh, in uh, Tom King Batman books. So it's just kind of like, eh, I guess. But it was good. And it's got, you're right, about it being like those scary stories to tell in the dark kind of things. It has a really fucked up ending. And like the last couple lines are really, really fucked up. So I'll give it three and three quarters. You're not Bruce Wayne. You're a sick kid with dead parents. I'll give it three and a half. Well, yes, but what else is Bruce Wayne? We like cool comic-related stuff, and here's something we think you might like. So, my pick for merch this week is the Marvel Legends Spider-Man Lizard series, which is a little confusing name, except for the fact that it has the lizard in it. But it's not like a lizard-centric thing, like, this is what Spider-Man would look like as the lizard, and this is what Spider-Woman would look like as the lizard. It just happens to have the lizard as one of the figure. Oh, it's called that because you build the lizard with all the rest of the toys. I've still not successfully built any one of those that has come with a piece inside. That's because they, they put together these toy lines and it's like a couple of toys you want and then a bunch that you don't give a shit about. But if you wanted to build that one toy, you need to buy all those shitty toys that you don't care about. Yeah, I think was it I think Mantis is one of the ones from the Guardians line. And Groot for a long time, the first Guardians line, it was Groot. And I'm like, that's messed up because no one wants weird, like, space Tony Stark and like another right. one. And, like, there's a Galactus one that they had, but, like, the rest, the line that the Galactus pieces all came with, I'm like, I don't fucking care. And these are not the cheap action figures. These are, like, their $15, $20 action $20, figures. $20, yeah. So, but but the, that said, they've got the good costume Spider-Woman. 
Yes. Not the shitty classic costume, but like her spy just became a mom costume. The new duds. Yeah. The lizard is actually pretty cool looking. There's a Gwenpool toy, and I don't know if we've seen a Gwenpool toy. There's a Lasher, which this is the only way that you're going to get that toy bought, except for the five people who are just really big symbiote fans. There's a punk Spider-Man that looks... It looks like he's it's got fun. a British costume. It's fun. It looks kind of like Vivian. So it's like it's like UK Spider-Man, but punk. They call him the, the Hobie Brown's Spider or Spidey Spider-Punk on the, the, the little MarvelToyNews.com site. There's a Mysterio, because that's what everybody wants, is a Mysterio action figure. But he's got <laughs> these cool wispies at his feet, like Mysterio always does. Yeah. So it's it's all in all, they're... They're really, well-sculpted. Yeah, they're well-sculpted. Um, there's a really cool Spider-Woman, and the lizard's pretty cool looking. Um, so, I mean, it'd be, look really good on the side of a van. I keep telling you I want a variant of her pregnant version in that outfit, because that's the one I'm hunting down. The other ones are cool, but I need to have me some Jessica Drew. <laughs> Alrighty, so uh, let's move on to some other things you want. Let's see, so it is Guardians of the Galaxy, number 150, Marvel Comics, The Return of Adam Warlock, Don't Fear the Reaper, written by Gary Duggan, pencils and inks by Aaron Cooter and Marcus Toe, who, but I'm one of those, colors by Ian Herring. This one is uh, wrapping things up. We see that uh, Warlock has been chilling in the Soul Gem, and he is goes and talks with uh, that old version of Gamora that's in there. He's going to leave her behind. Uh, while he escapes, which doesn't make her really happy. And there's some pretty interesting artwork. It's very kind of watercolory, where you see like the guardians like floating like dead in a pool of muck as he's dealing with the past and future because, you know, Warlock's going kind of crazy as he's waking up. The, sh- the Shi'ar, the Raptors, their um, plan of trying to take out the other Nova Corps goes horribly, which is kind of funny because you see Rocket with his uh, Nova helmet and everything. And like the fight. You know, typical comic book fight, though there is some consequences that go bad with Drax actually taking a life when he didn't mean to, which before I get to the consequences of that, there is a funny moment of Ant-Man because like there's a problem with the ship and they need to like fight off the ship. And so they have him do giant Ant-Man and he makes a weird jackass reference, which I thought was kind of funny, which I think was supposed to be the humor. But he just kind of blows it up from the inside from getting so big and then shrinks back down and Rocket has to save him. It was like, I thought it was a good use of Ant-Man in the Guardians universe. You might disagree, but I thought it was pretty funny. No, I thought it was a pretty good uh, end. I, I mean, I'm not really happy that the series is ending, yeah. but I get what they're doing. I, I think that they should have just kept Guardians going as Guardians, especially since they just did the whole number-changing thing. So I, I really kind of wanted to see Guardians keep going and have it be like what it's supposed to be and just have it fit into this whole cosmic thing that they're yeah. doing. I think it was dumb for them to end. It seemed like they want to have a Nova book, but they're still not doing that. Uh, yeah. The last few issues have been a little weird. I don't think I read 149. Yeah. This particular book had some really good scenes. Like, I love the Ant-Man. Because basically what he does is like, hey, you know, we can't get through their shields. And he's like, well, something could get through their shields or else we wouldn't be able to see them. Oh, you mean light? And he uses his science brain because unlike in the movie, Scott Lang is actually a very smart guy. Yeah. Um, so he jumps on literally like a photon and they just shine. They turn the lasers into big flood lamps, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and he rides the light across. And then that's how he gets over there and he turns into giant man and, and blows the ship up. Uh, the Drax thing, I'm really tired of this whole Drax is feeling morose about killing thing. And I'm like, stop doing this. So he, yeah, he quits and leaves the Guardians, but Peter knows since he knows that, that they have that giant the infinity, power the power stone, the giant power stone, he drops Drax off there to, as a, to guard it. Mm-hmm. But again, it doesn't tell Gomorrah that they have it. And Drax is like, you know, that's going to go bad. But yeah, and then they're off because the Garter's brought up again with his uh, evil floor, Colossus. So they're going to go and take those out. But I think, you know, um, Drax meditating on the Power Stone, that's a, uh, that seems like there could be interesting consequences from that or not, or just or outcomes. I mean, he does make a diamond or whatever in his hand while he does it. Well, I like, I like that bit where, so Quill picks up some, uh, just like a rock and compresses it in a coal, which is not a fucking thing that happens. Mm-hmm. But then they, they rip off Superman, basically, because Drax is sitting on it. And, you know, he grabs coal, the, the same piece of coal, and he squeezes it and makes a diamond out of it, just to show you how much more powerful Drax is and how powerful he is with the Power Stone. I think back when he was a member of Infinity Watch, I think the Power Stone was his stone. So I think it's fitting that he's going to be its protector. What I'm betting we're going to see is in the, the not Guardians of the Galaxy, but it's Guardians of the Galaxy book. We're going to see uh, basically uh, him have to defend this thing and basically come back from the whole thing and be classic Drax. 
Yeah. I get the whole feeling guilty over killing thing, but that's just not this character. Yeah. And that's not Drax the Destroyer. His name's fucking Drax Expe- the Destroyer. You didn't, I don't think you read the last issue, but the one where he, they said, he's like, oh, just because you're a pacifist or you don't think I can kill, it's like, no, I, I do it too well. Like, he had this really cool line where you feel like he was coming back around and then they just jumped back to this again. So I'm like, oh, this is so frustrating. Yeah, yeah I read that one and I'm like, okay, cool. We got Drax and he's got a reason for it. And I'm like, and then this. And I'm like, okay, what the fuck? Ever. They just needed a reason for him to be at the Power Stone. I don't recognize this guy at the end in his costume that where Adam comes out at, but that's just because I'm weird with costumes. Let me scroll down. I love Adam's new costume, though, by the way. That's Kang. Okay. Okay, then that makes that's it a little Kang more Kang the Conqueror. Okay. That's why he's got the, the room full of all the uh Oh, I see it in the background, artifacts. yeah. He's got, like, Doctor... I love that picture, by the way. That, that would be a really cool poster. Like, just take the word bubbles out. Because mm-hmm. um, he's got Doctor Octopus's uh, octopus arms. He's got the original Iron Man armor. It might be Mark II. Magneto's helmet. Magneto's helmet, Cyclops's glasses and visor. Both of Cap's shields. The looks like, Is that Gambit's staff? Winter Soldier's arm. Gambit's staff, where... It looks like the, the visors in the Magneto. Oh, looks like that would like make sense if that was on Gambit's staff, yeah. Uh, a cosmic cube, the Professor X's chair, one of Cap's helmets. Yeah, I see in the back. Spidey's mask, Green Goblin, Black Knight's helmet, the Silver Surfer's board, a sword, probably Black Knight's sword. The collector is going to be very jealous of this guy's collection. Right? I'm like, <laughs> holy shit. I think he's got vision yeah. over there on the right. And then it looks like... Yeah, um, that's like verbatim the Kree's, um... Oh, the, oh that's the Kree, uh, Ronan's... Ronan's hammer from the movie. Yeah, yeah. so, I, I I mean, I was like, okay, this is cool. Uh, it's got the coming up next, and I'm just seeing, like, Guardians of the Galaxy with a different title. That's all I'm seeing, but with Wolverine, because <laughs> why not? Yeah, very strange. Yeah, so, it'll be interesting to see where it's going. I thought this was a good book. It was a good way to end up the series. Um, it, it wrapped up the whole Nova thing. It was kind of abrupt. Uh, I felt because it was like, okay, we beat the ship. Okay, I guess we rooted out all the traitors. We're good. Let's go. And and then there was Adam, and I, I'm I'm happy to see Adam Warlock back. I want to see him in the movies, hopefully with a costume kind of like this, because this is like, yeah, I think my favorite Adam Warlock costume of all fucking time. I did like it. It was pretty cool. I, I really like his like his short hair because he he's had that classic like '70s haircut for fucking ever. Yeah, the the suave, the feathered like yes. hair. hair. Yeah. Like, like, is wait, is that Adam Warlock or is that Gold Captain Marvel? <laughs> so, um, so I, I was, I was pretty happy with it. I'm gonna give it a three and a half. Hmm, I thought the Reality Stone was purple. <laughs> I love nice. that. That was awesome. Oh, now I gotta wonder if the Reality Stone in the MCU is purple. Huh. Well, that's what I think. That's why I thought they were kind of making a joke because didn't, didn't the colors no. kind of switch around in the MCU versus no, that, the? That's right. The Power Stone in the because this is the Power Stone. Yeah, that was the other thing that confused me. The Power Stone in the MCU. Oh shit! This is the MCU's Power Stone. That's what I was wondering. That's why. I was, that's why I like that line. It kind of like is oh, this weird m- mishmash. It's like a weird because that's the stone that they're all touching in the in the first movie. Yes, that's why oh, I thought fuck. it was funny. Like I'm like, oh my god, they made a cult because the MCU colors switched from the original comic run colors. Yes. Holy shit! Good fucking catch. That is the deepest of cuts. Wow. Fantastic. Kudos. I'm going to give it three and a half. Welcome, Warlock. You're right on time. We have much to discuss. The next book we've got is Phoenix Resurrection number two, Marvel Comics, chapter two, All Lesser Birds, written by Matthew Rosenberg, pencils by Carlos Checo, inks by Rafael Fonterez, and colors by Rachel Rosenberg. This is the continuing story of Jean Grey, actual Jean Grey, coming back. Uh, and uh, Ashley Jean Grey doesn't come back without the big fiery fucking bird. Hopefully this time she'll have it under control. We've got basically the story of Jean Grey and all of the dead X characters living in a town together. And I noticed that, and I'm like, is this Jean Grey in heaven? Like, this is the mutant heaven? That's a crappy heaven if you have the waitress. Maybe this is like the mutant afterlife, basically. Because, like, I noticed that when she first, she, like, walks out of there, dude dressed in green and yellow, and it's Jamie. And then he's like, I don't know how you get it all done. And then you see a fuckload of him. And I'm like, okay, but Jamie's dead. And, uh, and then, and then they, uh, they go through it and like her friend is dead. And then you see Magneto. I don't know if he's dead or not, but he's like back and forth. And I'm just like, wait, what the fuck is going on here? And then uh, the, the X-Men are all like, oh fuck, we don't have any psychics. They've all been taken out mysteriously. So there's a, a scene where they're basically saying, hey, we need to, to find out what the fuck is going on 
but we don't have anybody who can use Cerebro. I don't know why she can't just ask Cerebro like she did in the Rogan Phoenix book. But okay. So they're like, well, not all of the psychics are missing because Cable's still around. So Cable puts on the Cerebro helmet and then fucks himself up. So now they are out of psychics. Um, but they are still trying to figure out what's going on, and it keeps flashing back and forth between Jean as a waitress in her town, talking to Eric, you know, Magneto, and then all the current X-Men, I guess, kind of, are all huddled around with their different teams. They send them all over the place. Of course, bitchy, I'm the boss, uh, Kitty takes all the people who were, like, part of her team. So you got Colossus, her, Storm, and Nightcrawler. All the mm. be- the friends. They're so clicky. They were all like in the class together, basically. And they're at the beach. <laughs> and everybody else is like at fucking Genosha. And they're like, glad it's nice where you are, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and then like the hipster X Factor, because for some reason, Strong Guy has a fucking. I know. Beard. I was like, what? Like, what the hell? And, and, and Shatterstar for some reason has creepy 70s gay guy mustache. <laughs> like, Freddie Mercury would be proud of this mustache. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> and then uh, the, what is it? What are they X-Men called? The Blue? X-Men Blue. They're down in, yeah, Blue Team is down in Savage Land. So uh, it's it just kind of, and, and then for some reason, there's a team that goes to Xavier's mansion. I'm like, weren't you just here? <laughs> but they're there. And then Magneto shows up in classic Magneto outfit, like the classic purple and red. And just kind of proceeds to fuck the shit up. Um, Longshot doesn't really get it, and throws metal knives at him, and Iceman's like, long shot, maybe don't throw metal blades at him, okay? Yeah, that was pretty, like, right, really? Like, you failed your class, what were you, sleeping? Seriously. And then it, it seems like at some point this Magneto vision, uh, snaps. Well, Wolverine Laura confuses him, like, a lot. <laughs> oh, cause she's like, seems to be Wolverine, but her body's not all metal. And it's or... not Wolverine, like, he's like, you look familiar. Like that's where you're. Like he he seems confused. Like whatever that's making him go in between the two different worlds. He seems like because he makes a cu- reference about getting him another cup of coffee too. And you're like, what is going on? Yeah, like he's half with Gene and half here. And I'm like, well, wait, what the fuck is going? On? And this has happened in the in the previous book. They had a whole bunch of like all all the people who have gotten fucked up and all that. They had weird visions of past X stuff, and it like happens and it goes away. But it's like a ghost from the past happening. Now, um, like, uh, there's a couple, one cool scene, like, Chamber blasts this Magneto's arm off, and then it just grows right the fuck back, and then, like, even the clothing grows back, and it's like, that's what you're, what you're talking about, was like, may I get a fresh cup? Like, he's having a conversation with Gene at the same time he's fucking up this shit. So I'm like, is that Phoenix that's having that, but why is it showing up as all these ghosts, and it's got a bloody nose, and I'm like, what in the fuck is going on? But... All we can tell that's going on is the phoenix is on its way back to Earth, and Jean yeah, is Yeah, they can back see it the in the dead. sky. Yep. And she's oddly comforted by it. And I, I hope that we can finally get her back and not have to deal with this endless cycle of Jean. <laughs> so I'm just tired of this. It's been a really kind of annoying, what has it been, 12 years since Jean Grey's yeah. been in a comic? 15 years? And they had Kid Jean. I really liked her. I don't know why we couldn't have both. Yeah, I said I was hoping they'd keep yeah, they're not killing all the rest of the young X-Men off yet. The part I was talking about was actually, I think, the, the previous issue to this. That's where I was getting confused. But can you answer me, is Jubilee a vampire? Yes. Okay, so they kept that. So I thought that was like a one-off story. And then when she was biting the Hellfire Club people, I'm like, wait, she's still a vampire? <laughs> yeah, she got depowered and then, um, I think, killed? No, she got depowered and then she got turned into a vampire. Mm-hmm. Because there's this, there's this classic uh, X-Men storyline where, for some fucking reason, Dracula... Because Dracula was really big in the 70s mm-hmm. in Marvel Comics. Because this was right after the, the like comics code started to lighten up. And they could use Dracula, but they couldn't say, like, vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, he got obsessed with Storm, of all fucking people. And he turned Storm into, like, a half-vampire. And it's actually kind of a good book. There's a couple of what-ifs that they did off of it. Um, but vampires have always had this weird relationship with the X-Men for some fucking reason. And then Jubilee's like the long lasting remnant of that. Okay. Cause yeah, cause we, we read when we were reading that the nineties throwback return that they did last year, mm-hmm. you, they covered a little, some of that. Right. And I was like, Oh, okay. But I'm like, I didn't think it stuck, but I guess so. Cause I was like, what? Nope. Yep. It did. She's like a vampire. And I'm like, okay. But she's also 
the mom of this uh like lost child like adopted she adopted this like asian baby and i'm like okay <laughs> it's just like we don't know what to do with jubilee so here kind of thing and i'm like okay whatever so but i'm having i'm having fun with this and i'm glad to see phoenix is finally coming back the only thing i don't like about this is that new jean gray had to die because they can't figure out a way to write them both yeah i'm very sad because i like dennis hope this run of the teen jean gray yeah and teen jean was it was a pretty funny character so um all uh, I'm going to give it three and a half. There's nothing here. If I were looking for the Phoenix, I know where I'd go. Arizona. <laughs> um, I'm going to give it three. Can we try to be helpful here, Jubilee? I thought I was. <laughs> now, see, you as Bitchy. a 90s X-Men fan, mm-hmm. uh, that is probably a really good for you because Jubilee is like pure 90s X-Men. Yeah. She happens to be one of my friend's favorite characters. So I, it helps, like endear it a little bit more to me all righty we're going into hawkeye number 14 marvel comics person of interest written by kelly thompson pencils and inks by leonardo romero and colors by jordy belair i love the little dossiers that you get at the beginning of the hawkeye book i they're actually really funny if you actually read them they have a little insight they're they're just sassy so clint is back on the west coast and he's like you know been working with uh Kate and he's going back to her investigation thing and he runs into all her like sidekicks I guess and he's just like she's like and he can't get over like how many of them there are and they're like wanting to know what happened because she disappeared the last issue just zotted out and they like they're not dealing with Clint's bullshit basically they're like no where is she and he's just like kind of doing his Burton thing (laughs) eventually he's like okay fine you can help me but they like do things in a way that is totally not what he's used to you know they actually do research and like hunt things down you know and like where instead of he's like no let's just go shoot stuff <laughs> it's i don't know it's, i thought it was like kind of a funny a little dynamic where you see how differently they handle the hawkeye kind of job there's an interesting flashback between kate bishop and her mom that you see a little like kind of insight which makes sense because then all of a sudden when she's hanging out with eden you get her mom's there because she's like zotting people in and out of time and messing with timelines and you see like this really like touching moment between them before zotted away again but i think her zotting her away again might be her extra downfall because it's that that extra nudge that the hero needs to like get really pissed and do stuff because you see this that look where kate's like crying but glaring like oh you done fucked up now (laughs) um and then you know the classic you know like crawling through like ventilation shafts which would not support a human weight, by the way. So such a good Also, it would be super, super fucking loud. Yeah. But, you know, he's doing that. And then, you know, fights can, you know. And then there's the, I'm not explaining it. There's like a clone of Kate that someone else is inhabiting. Madam Mask. Madam Mask, okay. And he's like fighting her and she like totally kisses him. And that's what's funny where the cover's like misleading because it's not Kate and Clint kissing. No, no. It's uh, someone else in her body. It's pretty funny, because I think a lot of people are like, oh my. <laughs> Madam Mask is an old Iron Man villain. She's like a spy, super criminal kind of character. I, if I remember right, she is like the daughter or the niece of Count Nefaria, who is like an Avengers villain from like issue five of the Avengers. Uh, yeah. He's also the dude who created Power Man. So she's a really old Marvel character. Like yeah. She's been around since back when he was around. It's kind of really fucked up of her to do this. But she's always been that femme fatale. She yeah. She fucked up her face and had like a mask that was literally affixed to her face. Yeah. That's why you see those masks all through every, out everything. Yeah. But I thought it was funny where the, the panel, it's like the drawing kind of changed style and it's very old school. And he's like, ugh, ah, gross. No. Cause you know, he thinks of her like a sister kind of, right? And so it is funny. I don't know. I like that dynamic between mask and Clint where she's like, you don't have to be rude about it. And he's like, that was over the line. So I thought that was pretty, uh, that to me was like a highlight. I thought that was pretty funny. But he does, but he's, you know, trying to work out and, like, rescue her, but, I mean, it's, it is an issue. I mean, there's a lot coming together, I'll say, instead of the storylines coming to close. We do know that they are canceling this run of Hawkeye, so you can see it moment building up and coming to the end. So there's a lot going on. It does get a little confusing, especially when Mask changes costumes, and then she's, like, in the exact same thing that the other one were it bounces back and forth to Kate and Eden. So there is that going on. 
They I mean they do try to, you know, tell you where location they're at each on each panel, but it does get a little confusing. It's a little easy to, to detect which one's Kate and which one's Eden. Or um I'm mask. sorry, which one's mask. Kate's got her bangs cut a little shorter and she doesn't have the headband on, but also she's the one that's scowling constantly at Clint. Yeah, well, there's <laughs> that too. But I mean it does get a little confusing, that's what my whole point was. But yes, they, they, they rescue Kate and um you know they say oh this is gonna be, and then Eden and Mask get together and that's a little uh disturbing. But there is another issue coming up in you know good old vengeance and I like I don't know I just like seeing Clint and Kate together. I think they have an interesting dynamic and so and they play well off of each other for banter. Um like when we did the when they had the legacy issue, I thought that one was really good. So I really like this one. The the Hawkeye at Kate um, series has been has a lot of sass into it and that kind of humor that I personally enjoy. I don't necessarily know if you guys all like it, but I picked it because yeah, I like the sass. I've never read it much because I can't stand Clint Barton because he's a, a Hulk killing motherfucker. Well, he's not usually in this one that much. This is like a this special. This is mostly just Kate. Yeah, is this the book that started with her doing the road trip west. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So second reason I don't really much like <laughs> this much is why can't I have a fucking Young Avengers book? Like seriously, people. I want a Young Avengers book. She's a Young Avenger. Give me a Young Avengers book right fucking now. She's not that young anymore, I guess. She's still young, goddammit. I want them all back together, and I want them to do it a book. The Millennial Avengers. Oh, sorry. Uh, that's fine. I mean, we have a Runaways book, and a really good fucking Runaways book. Can we not have a really good... Wait, we we have, and then they canceled it for some reason. Um, The things I like... I really love the art in this book. It's like... It makes me think of Darwin Cook or, like, Archie Comics. It's yes. simplistic, but it's and stylized, but it gets the point across, and it works fantastically for the story. Their costumes are really good for it. I love the little crack that Mask makes about the hip holes. Yeah. <laughs> like, is she just really into her hip bones or what? Yeah. The writing and the art on this is just fantastic. It's funny as fuck. But also, like, it moved, and it, it's, it does all the right stuff. The pacing is really good. The art is really good. They're assholes for canceling this. I haven't read it, but now I, I kind of halfway want to, except for the fact that I have so much shit to read. So I'm like, yeah. no, Matt, don't don't add another one. Don't add another one. Yeah, I mean, Clint is not a main character in this one until this last couple parts. That's good. <laughs> no, I mean, it's Jordi Belair. The colors are going to be great. Yeah, well, the colors are great. The art's great. The writing's great. This is a really great book. It makes yeah. no sense that they're canceling no, it. I love the writing. That's one of the main reasons I kept start, kept reading this book is that the writing is funny and I I really like it. And I was never really a huge Hawkeye fan to begin with. So the fact that it captured me like that, I think speaks loads to how good, how well it's done. Yeah. I felt that you'd probably like this character because she is really snarky and that's kind of one of your things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, she's always been like that too that's that's consistent with her character so all right i'm gonna give it three and three quarters ugh ack no gross <laughs> nice i'll give it three and a half sorry mask but the plan doesn't involve you being conscious mm-hmm. all righty and now for pull pass or complain about it on the internet first we have spider-man number 246 marvel comics sinister six reborn written by brian michael bendis pencils and inks by oscar Bazoldua, Bazoldua, colors by Brian Rabar. I'm gonna pass. Um, I'm gonna pick it. Um, just I wasn't super intrigued by it, but it is a Brian Michael Bendis book, so it is gonna be well written. It is interesting. I like the stuff with Gonke, so I'd pick it. Um, it wouldn't be like there'd be other books I'd pick before it, but it's enough where I would still grab it. All right. Next one up is Star Wars number 41, Marvel Comics, The Ashes of Jeddah, Part 4, written by Kieran Gillen, pencils and inks by Salvador LaRocca, colors by Guru EFX. I'm a Star Wars nerd. I'm going to pull it. Oh, yeah, we're pull. I said pick. Oops. Um, I'm going to pull it, too. Um, I mean, it's Kieran Gillian and it's Star Wars, so you pretty much are, that's a two points right there in its favor. Yeah. It still does that kind of rotoscoping that I don't really care for for the main character's face, so the art does seem a little um, annoying. Well, annoying, but, like, inconsistent, so. Yeah, because sometimes they rotoscope it, and sometimes they don't. Yeah, so. Alrighty. Uh, The next, we have Exit Stage Left, The Snagglepuss Chronicles, number one. DC Comics, written by Mark Russell. Pencils by Mike Feehan. Inks by Mark Morales. No relation to Spider-Man. And uh, colors by Paul Mounts. I'm going to pass. I I just didn't care. I hate the 50s. 
and this is placed in the 50s. I get that it's important, but I can't stand the 50s, McCarthyism, or shit that preaches to me, and this book has all three of those. I guess I'm complaining about it on the internet. Uh, hmm. What about you? I am also passing. I know this was Ryan would have been Ryan's pick of the week if he could have made it this week. Um, the artwork, the humans alongside the weird animomorphized cartoon versions of Snagglepuss and Huckleberry Hound really kind of disturbed me. I don't know. I just really didn't like how they looked together. And yeah, so if, if you're it, a furry, you'll probably love yeah, this book. It was kind of distracting and weird in that way. So that was took away too much from the story for me. I just did not like it. Could not get past it. It does have a, a good message. There is a message in there and it's pretty strong, but it wasn't entertaining, which I expect comics to be. Like, I just, I didn't enjoy it. I mean, yeah. it has good benefits. Maybe it's for you. It clearly was for Ryan. It just wasn't for me. Yeah. And, and it's like, not the message that I dislike. I just, <sighs> I don't like, even if somebody's preaching to me about something I like, I don't, I can't stand it. And the book is really super preachy and it's about a period in history that I want to just, just nuke. Oh, yeah, no, I the, can't stand the 50s. And this is just fine, yeah. I get what you're saying about the preachiness, yeah. It's like, okay, I, yeah. I get your point. Move on. Like, I get it. I already agree with this fucking thing. I'm like, go! Yep. Alright, next we have Rise of the Black Panther, Marvel Comics, The King at the End of Everything, written by Evan Narcissi and Tan Hesse Coates. Pencils and inks by Paul Renald. Colors by Stefan... Patrol? Jesus Christ, that's a list of names I can't say. Oh, yeah. Fuck, um, I would have pulled this one. This was one of my pulls, actually, this week. Yeah, I'd pull it. The artwork is gorgeous, and if you're looking forward to the movie, I think this is a good start for you. Yeah, this is a good appetizer for the movie. Totally. And and it kind of gives you kind of a good understanding about the character. And like you said, the, the art is just fucking gorgeous. Dynamic and, and really well done. Really good anatomy. Uh, next we've got Batman White Knight number four, DC Comics, written by Sean Murphy. Pencils and inks by Sean Murphy. Colors by Matt Hollingsworth. I am actually going to pull this one. I've not been a fan of this series. And I, I was like, I started reading this one and I'm like, ugh. Because I didn't fucking care about this story. But this issue I actually liked. The issue before this where they, they offed Alfred I thought was very interesting. So was oh. I um I would pull this one just because um the artwork is very interesting and kind of like I don't know something about it I just really like and it's just it's dark it's I mean it's different enough from how Tom King handles Batman that it still has some interest to it it's a little, it's gritty it's dark yeah the art's part of what I don't like about the book oh uh, and I also I don't like those whole okay now the hero's the bad guy kind of things and like the first issue kind of seemed to go that way and now they're kind of been like he's still kind of the bad guy. The bad guy's the good guy, and I'm like, that's not original, and it's not really fun anymore now that you've already fucking done this. And it, there's a book that came out in, like, the 90s where it's this futuristic Gotham, and Batgirl is now Batman, and it seems like they're heading that way. And it, it's just, it's weird, but that said, I actually liked this issue. Yeah. So, uh, Batman The Signal Number 1, DC Comics, Gotham by Day, Part 1, Morning. Written by Scott Snyder and Tony Patrick. Pencils and inks by Tony Patrick. Colors by Cully Hammer. I'm going to pass on this one. I, I didn't care about this book. I had to push myself to get through it. Uh, I, too, am a pass. I had very little interest for it. It just it did not capture me or engage me at all. It just, yeah, it just very flat. Just did not care for it. Not enough that I would complain about it, but I'm just like, mm, yeah, not for me. So that was the world of comics for this week. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcasts on original streaming media. Cut the cord at fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate. Review. And subscribe. And be sure to come back next week for another episode. Till then, keep reading, nerds. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, crap. I forgot to hit record. No, I already checked halfway through. <laughs>